Welcome to Sitcom Geeks. I'm Dave Cohen. And I'm James Carey. And uh, today we're very pleased to be uh, joined by two guests. And uh, these are two uh, of the kind of foremost uh, experts, really, in, in uh, the skills of writing a comedy in the UK. Uh, we have uh, the wonderful Kay Stonham. Hi, hello. Hey. So that was okay. me cheering there. That wasn't Kay cheering herself. I have been Kay is far too lovely to cheer. And also joining us is Chris Head. Hello. I paused there for the cheering, but, but oh, none came. Sorry. Oh, okay. Hey. Sorry. I've met Kay before, <laughs> no. but I've not met you, Chris. Yeah. We're just getting to know each other. So thanks for so, doing our podcast. Yeah. So you I don't get cheering until you've kind of properly known somebody then? I guess that's correct, yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. that's the comedy yeah. industry yeah. all over. I thought I was, I, you, know, you only get cheers when you know yeah, someone. Yeah. Okay, and uh, I, I mentioned the names ahead of uh, their CVs, but I thought I, I, it'd be very uh, interesting for you guys uh, to tell us a little bit about uh, yourselves and your experience. Now, Kay is actually a very experienced uh, comedy writer. She's written loads for TV and kids' TV. Not that those two should be thought of as different in any way, but and she's also written a, a, an awful lot for radio as well as actually being a, a performer, an actor. Uh, but uh, Kay, would you like to tell us a little bit about your uh, your teaching life? About my my what life? Sorry, you faded out. Your, your te teaching your life, teaching. right, okay. Teaching. Yeah, um, yes. yeah, so um, I suppose I began teaching like a lot of people because writing work is hard to get, let's face it, and um, I was doing a lot of radio and wanted to get come off the ground and had lots of uh, pilot script commissions, which I think we've all experienced getting a lot off from TV, um, but then not getting that last greenlit thing. And I, I felt like I wanted to do something else as well. Um, so partly it was the reason that all practitioners, I suppose, if they're honest, uh, start teaching, which is that, you know, you need to do something else sometimes in your career financially we can't all keep going if we're not getting um green lit but um the other reason for me was that I felt like I really needed a bit more company and it sounds stupid but I'd been an actor <laughs> slowly I had to start teaching I've been an actor which is very um you know it's very uh commute you know it's very there's a lot of camaraderie isn't there with actors and I'd started off working in sketches etc writers rooms where again there was a lot of camaraderie and then once you start doing narrative comedy you're in your a room on your own writing aren't you and there's nobody and I found that didn't suit me as well as I thought it might and so I really wanted to do something else which had um you know it's just had more people around and which involved me in groups of people which I was used to and so that's why I sort of started teaching because I wanted to be out of the house and having a bit more fun with other people uh does that is that, is that the question you wanted answered I'm not 100% sure because I couldn't hear well, yes is that uh, 10 out of 10 for that uh, that's why I started that's homework started. you did there for us okay <laughs> that, okay so Chris how did you get into uh teaching comedy comedy or comedy writing and yeah well I was doing comedy for many years um all sorts of things uh stand up I was, was in a double act uh briefly with Barry Ferns who founded Angel Comedy he and I did loads of live sketch comedy things and wrote various scripts and this and that so I was I was doing a lot of comedy and working part-time uh to support all of that 
And uh, where I happened to be working some time ago, something like 25 years ago, uh, was at City Lit, the college in uh, Covent Garden, uh, Adult Education College. And all sorts of courses happened there, including lots of drama and writing courses. And I liked working there, uh, but I thought, well, the, the tutors are getting paid rather more than I am for doing the admin. Maybe I could I could teach something. Um, so I went to the uh, head of drama, Vivian Rochester, and uh, I said to her, "Well, I've done a done a drama and an English degree. Maybe I could maybe I could teach something." She said, "Okay, well, what, what do you think you might teach?" I said, "Oh, well, perhaps I could teach uh, introduction to acting. You know, I've done this drama degree." She said, "Oh no, the people who teach that have gone to drama school and this and that and the other." Um, so I made a couple of other suggestions, neither of which were quite right, and I was about literally I was about to forget about the whole thing, and she said, um, "But." But what, what what do you know about? You know, what are you passionate about? And I said, oh, well, I know about comedy. And she said, why don't you teach that? And that was that was genuinely the, the starting point of it. And it's... You mean you hadn't been to clown college and yet you could teach comedy? Because yeah. it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because like, oh, no, 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 you can't teach acting because our teachers have gone to acting college. Comedy? <laughs> oh, sure, yeah, uh-huh. no, that's fine. That's fine. Um, I mean, is it, it's probably worth asking that question then. I mean, the accreditation business is new uh, and recent because when I started out 20 years ago, it was just, you know, you tried to get sketches on weekending on Radio 4 and there was a bit of a path uh, out ahead of you. And then these courses started coming up in university courses. And do you find that people kind of see passing the course or graduating almost as an end in itself rather than uh, a means to an end? Uh, Kay, do you want to come in? Yeah, I mean, I suppose, going back to how I answered the question, I suppose I should have started out by saying something which I did do, which was to work in comedy. I noticed that you did that, Chris, really well. I was like, didn't actually say that. Um, I suppose, um, you know, we, people like us, you and I, James and and David, etc., and Chris, we started by doing it, didn't we? We started by Mm. writing. We just had a go, like you said, we work for weekending and then suddenly we were comedy writers and you know I did an awful lot of that and sketches on tv wrote sketches for lots of the big double acts of through the 80s and 90s and stuff um and there was no no training available available, there wasn't it it just there wasn't anything and so there was nothing to even you know to, to think about training as a comedy writer or as a writer even now I think about it I mean there were one or two brilliant sort of creative writing courses weren't they but novel, famous novelists taught on but that was about it the, the students that I teach by and large want to be script writers or screenwriters in all kinds of genres not particularly in comedy many of them comedy but not not um exclusively so and they do want to be writers but they're quite realistic I think and lots of them understand that they probably will end up being um, you know agents or they'll end up in script development or they'll end up as readers Um, they understand that the that they're not going there necessarily as as a kind of straight linear path to script writing or screenwriting so I mean I think that's a good thing because obviously not everyone is going to do it what do you find Chris? Well, I um, helped develop and now teach on uh, the comedy degree at Bath Spa University. And the way we've developed that is to really cover all bases in that the students do stand up and they make sketches for the internet and social media. And they write and perform in a sitcom. And in fact, they do panel shows and they do improv. 
And the idea behind that is to kind of really to succeed in comedy now as a writer performer, it really feels like you have to do everything and you have to be able to do everything. And so giving them that lovely sand pits, this kind of totally safe space to try and fail and learn stuff and build up their skills, get a show reel, and then to go out in the world feeling like they've got some skills in a whole load of different areas. That's that's the aim. On one level, I feel that sounds really great. And on the other level, I want to say, yeah, but does that kind of really play into that thing, which I know some of us find really annoying, that in order to be in comedy, you've got to be a performer, not just a writer. You know, why, why do you have to? Hey, I'm cheering again, Kay. Yeah. I'm cheering well, I, again. You know, I knew you'd be on my side yeah. this time. I mean, you're, you're, why, you're ahead why, of us there, you know, Kay. Why do, I mean, I was a performer myself, although not a stand-up, but I, I was an actor. But why can't we just write comedy? You know, why do we have to have all these other skills? Just because it's comedy. You know, if, you're a, if you want to write uh, thrillers, you don't have to go and work at a police college. Or, I mean, and I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Be thrilling. Be thrilling. Why, why do you have to do a that? Oh, those um, oh those those London, you know, thrilling clubs. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yes, I well, went to see a thriller you... the other day. Yeah, uh, there's there's yeah. four of them, uh, one mm. after the other. They were good actually. There was a, there was an MC thriller as well. <laughs> I that. live just around the corner from Cranley Gardens, where of course Dennis Nielsen uh, lived. So uh, I qualify to, to exactly write that exactly. It's true though, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. No, I I I think that's a that that's a, that's a reasonable point there but I think um I, I'm interested I, I want to just step back slightly there and say I mean I, I know Simon Nichols who's a, a, a comedy producer that I'm sure uh James will know and Kay you probably have worked with as well and he has set up a, a comedy writing course I think in uh Falmouth I think it is um so so there is a comedy writing course but I, I I'm interested in the idea um Chris, we haven't given you a chance to, to, to respond to this yet, but but it's it, it just just it, the course is entirely about getting comedy made. Is that correct? Yeah, and what, what I'd say in in response to you know Kay's very passionate and valid point, I notice Kay's now got two cheers out of James, and I've got none, so it's t- two nil to Kay at the moment. On, <laughs> so, far, so far, so far, still time, yeah. still time. Yeah, um, uh, you you have to you're going to have to renounce performance, yes. <laughs> Chris. I think uh, to get a chair, yeah. out disavow. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So what, what what I would say is, and of course there's room for both, and and I would say like by analogy with theatre, you would have a playwright who doesn't perform, who doesn't act, they write plays. Uh, but then you would have a theatre maker, someone like Simon McBurney, say of Complicite, who who performs and creates work. And I think so So it is in, in comedy. You know, there's the specialist writer and then there's the writer-performer. And they both have different things to offer and they can both coexist. But certainly in recent times... TV sitcom slash comedy drama have certainly favoured the writer performer. That that's that's definitely the case. I mean, I wonder how healthy it was anyway previously, just to focus so heavily on the pure sitcom genre. As it so there were there were a handful of people who basically wrote most of the sitcoms between them, and they were mostly two blokes who'd been to school together or something similar. And it was a pretty small pool of people then. And to some extent, it's fairly small pool now, although actually it is obviously you know, more diverse for a variety of, of good reasons. But um, so in a way, it's probably healthier to have more skills than purely 28 minute, 26 minute 
uh, comedy sitcom. Uh, so so that's good. Uh, but equally, it is a bit frustrating if your passion is sitcom, which ours is particularly on this podcast, uh, that you're sort of constantly having to do other things. But I suppose these other things bring you skills and insights as well, because, you know, um, Dave has got a I'm going to I'm going to nick Dave's question here uh, about sketch comedy. And um, uh, actually, Dave, why don't you ask about Gemma's uh, Gemma Arrowsmith? Yeah, we were talking earlier about uh, uh, Gemma Arrowsmith, who's another uh, comedy writing teacher. And in fact, uh, as if to illustrate uh, what we talk about, has just um, got a series commission, I think, as a writer uh, for Radio 4, although I know she has also performed uh, in sketches. And uh, but she says that everything that she learned about writing comedy, she has learned from uh, sketch from actually writing sketches and uh, I, I just um, would, would be I, I'm thinking about again you mentioned some of the the old school names from people like David Rennick uh, and John Sullivan um, they, they um, only fools and horses and you know one foot in the grave whatever they, they began their careers writing sketches uh, for the two Ronnies so obviously it's a it is a good starting point so what do you think each of you um, what we can learn from from uh, learning how to write sketches. Chris, do you want to start on this song this time? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so sketches, wow, it's such a brilliant training ground for, for writing comedy. So things that we learn, um, there's that really key dynamic between the reasonable person and the unreasonable person. You know, it's kind of overwhelmingly the case with sketches that you have somebody reasonable trying to deal with someone unreasonable. And that's such a fundamental comedy dynamic. And you get to play that out in, in miniature over and over again in sketches. And something else that sketches teach brilliantly is to really focus on what the idea is, you know, what the game of the scene is, to use that term from improv. You know, the, this sketch is about this. And when you come to write scenes in your sitcom slash comedy drama, then having that same focus of what is the game of this scene? You know, why is this scene fun and entertaining in itself? You know, over and above the place it's got in the larger narrative. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. Okay, you, what, uh, would you uh, add, add to that? Yeah, I mean, I think that's all very true what, what Chris said. Um, I suppose in some ways, just an observation, which is going back to what James said about um, weekending, um, et cetera, et cetera, is that some of us really, um, you had to learn sketch writing because that was the only way in to writing comedy. There, there was nothing else. Um, so in fact, it almost wasn't an option. It was a skill that you, you had to have, even if you wanted to write narrative. Um, and so some of us, I, I think we're, there's a kind of bias in people of our age towards sketch writing in a way that I don't know whether younger people have that same joy of it or that same skill in it that we all had because we had to. But um, what do you get? But then from I it? guess they're not watching it. I mean, also, no, exactly. yes, maybe, maybe younger uh, aspiring writers would have more excitement about writing sketches if they watch them on yes. the TV, but they aren't on the TV. The, the great, you know, the greatest comedians of the last seventy years, Morecambe and Wise, were not sitcom people. No. You know, they had a sitcom element, which was just, you know, when they were in bed, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. 
But yeah, so in one sense, it's the, it's the absence of sketch comedy on the TV. I mean, there are some, you know, Family Lamb has uh, done pretty well and mm. Mitchell and Webb wasn't that long ago, but it's not a common form. Um, no, it? no, not well, on TV, but it's huge online and on social media. Mm. And there's there's a huge desire and thirst to make sketches for those formats. Um, so, uh, for example, Muriel, uh, Trio are brilliant writer-performers that, that I've worked with in various ways in the past you know they're, they're making sketches for online doing live sketch shows also at soho theater and then people like foil arms and hog the three irish guys you know making sketches and a sketch a week for facebook and so i think sketch comedy has just moved elsewhere but but yeah. there, there really yeah. is a massive kind of enthusiasm and desire to make sketch comedy mm. and i think mm. it is again Sorry for those of you who are banging the drum for the purest writers, but it's but it's the people who want to perform them too and want to film them and edit them. And you know, that that's where the real enthusiasm is, I would say, at the minute with sketch comedy. But going back to sorry, I thought I just cheered. Yeah, but it had a hollow ring, Dave, to be honest. You know, it really did. Um going back to what can we learn from it? I mean, I would agree with what Gemma said. And in fact, I would say in a way you can learn about any kind of writing from writing sketch comedy because you learn that crucial thing of getting in late and getting out fast, which you need for any good screenwriting or, or script writing you know the amount of times that I'm teaching students um, and not necessarily in comedy any form of script that they're writing and I have to say to them look you know that scene doesn't really start until this point and it ends here and you've got like two minutes either side which are just flab basically mm. and, and that skill I think skill of, of knowing when the story starts and, and when it finishes and then getting out quickly is really key, uh, and we learn that very fast as sketch writers because you know we get cut, we, we won't get our sketches on unless they've got laughs at the beginning, laughs at the end. So I think that's very important. An economy of dialogue, obviously, is another great one. But I think also it's just the experience of writing something shorter because writing a, a sitcom script, thirty pages, is really hard, and it's a, it's it's in some senses a series of sketches. There's a lot more to it than that. But I've just written a blog post recently on how um, I'm slightly sad that we don't really have a spec script system in this country. And we, we and they've sort of it feels like it's gone by the wayside in, in America, too, which is learning how to write a sitcom episode and then which is already really hard. And then but if you have to write a pilot spec script for your sitcom, mm -hmm. That's a separate skill, which is creating a show, which is even harder. Yeah. And you have to do an incredibly hard thing combined with an even harder thing in one. Mm. And I just think it's such a steep thing to do that actually knocking out some decent sketches feels like a good way of getting towards that. Um, because, you know, again, if you go from online, which is writing sketches, and you see an online version of a sketch, to going, I now want to watch, I now want to aspire to write a Netflix series, suddenly you've got people worrying about, you know, about 10 episodes mm. of 40 minutes and they start talking about story arcs mm. and you think, oh my goodness, you know, this is, this yeah. thing's going to swallow you whole if you're not careful. Do you, do you hear a lot of story arc talk? Well, it's certainly now, th th this is where it's all at, you know, the, the stories that go across the top of the whole series. But something that's kind of really crucial is to make sure that each episode is satisfying of and in itself. And so often... 
so I, I'm reading a lot of scripts. Uh, I ran a competition with British Comedy Guide last year with Lucy Lumsden of Yellow Door Productions. And so we got lots of scripts in and we're working with some writers developing scripts at the moment. But one of the big kind of issues I find with these scripts that are teeing up a, a series with a big story arc is that the first script feels like the first half hour of a movie. And it doesn't feel complete and satisfying in itself. And that that's the big the big challenge of balancing those two things yeah oh now that's really interesting because actually about two weeks ago uh we we run sort of master class as part of our patreon uh series and um, and we do various things we, we do like q a with people and uh, we had a suggestion from someone they said would it be possible for you to get uh, we, we, we did an interview with David Tyler recently about his positive uh, competition and somebody said, Do you, you know, would it be possible to get the, some of the people who have done some of the other competitions like Lucy Lumsden, say, Yellow Door? And James and I both said, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. Uh, and quite as luck would have it, it turns out, so you were actually quite actively involved then in the, uh, the Yellow Door yes. script. So. So um, what were the headlines? You know, you, yeah. how many? So David Tyler, the headline from David Tyler's thing, one of them is, uh, "Can you not write about zombies, please?" Because <laughs> <laughs> like a third of all of his scripts had zombies yeah. in them. Uh, what were the headlines for yours? But the thing that I want to say uh, to everyone listening and everyone kind of aspiring is just don't, don't try so hard. Is is what what I want to say. Um, everyone's really reaching for the funny idea and the big outrageous scene and you end up kind of getting your characters to sort of contort themselves or fulfill this mad idea that you've got whereas what we were looking for is characters that were really believable and grounded and engaging and comedy that felt true and felt like it was emerging out of believable situations and engaging people now, of course, there's a place for funny and crazy comedy. But what we were particularly interested in was sort of simplicity. And did were you disappointed? <laughs> or were you, did you find some gems? I mean, because it just feels like, yeah, people are just thinking, I want to write the next Game of Thrones or I want to write the next Breaking Bad, to which the answer is... If you think that's a sitcom, then I don't know what to tell yeah. you. Uh, but but the, but these people sort of end up feeling that they need to write a sitcom script, and then the script that they've written is not a sitcom script. It is the first script of a of, of a nine hour movie, uh, which is what we now call a box yeah. set. I mean, I, I, was that was that a lot of the yeah. scripts? Um, with, it was really interesting working closely with Lucy because what she was looking at overwhelmingly was dialogue and character, and even if like there was one script I remember going, I don't believe where this story goes. Why is it going? She could, don't worry about that. Look at how believable these people are and look at this world. And it's, oh, okay. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, this story thing can be fixed, but if the characters aren't there and if the world isn't there and I don't care, then there's nothing you can do about that. Do you find that Kay? In the, Cause you must be reading dozens of scripts as well. Are you finding people want to write, a box set Netflix series? Uh, yeah, I mean, we read, we're reading hundreds of script with the Female Pilot Club, which um, I don't know if, if Chris knows about us. We do, um, what we do is live readings of female written sitcoms. We say sitcoms, but often they are, as you say, James, more like comedy dramas, really, um, to try and, try and throw a light on female written comedy because we don't think there's enough on TV. 
Um, and so, yeah, we do read a hell of a lot of scripts. And I find, I do find that most people want to have a narrative arc. They don't quite write those discrete episodes of, of a sitcom that we were used to thinking of uh, as a classic sitcom. Um, and I think it's because they just watch a lot of American sitcom and a lot of American sitcoms haven't had uh, that format. They've had more of a more of an arc across the series. But, um, and of course, because they're used to watching box sets of all kinds, as you say. But um, yeah, I mean, going back to what Chris said about what, what are you looking for? I think Lucy's absolutely on the money there, isn't she? You know, we, we, if you're going to spend that time in, in a character's uh, company, you want to you feel something for that character. You want to relate to them on some level as a human being and feel like their problems are real and, and, and understandable. And you want to root for them a little bit and you want to laugh at them. So, uh, and dialogue, of course, if they're not speaking in a way that you recognize, then we can't believe in them. So I think that's that's absolutely true. I mean, what we always like to look for, the two things that, that I, say and, and Abigail Berdez who, who is the other person in Female Pilots Club with me she always well she her thing is sex she always says um too many people in the sitcoms that we read are having great sex and she thinks that's a complete ridiculous thing on all levels that like a people shouldn't be getting more great sex than she feels she's having which is understandable and all of us are having but also that people you know shouldn't be getting great anything in a comedy, you know, if everything's going well for the leading character in a comedy, then it's not going to be funny. So she thinks that um, a lot of the scripts make that mistake of making everything great for the character. They have a great life, great house, great boyfriend, etc. So that's not funny. And the other thing that we think is great about some of those that we do choose is we like sitcoms or comedies that have what I like to call um, a small man in a big hat or a big man in a small hat. You know, something which is juxtapositional within the comedy. Big man in a big hat, not funny because it fits. Hmm. Small man in a big hat, funny because it doesn't fit. Um, and it's that thing of like making sure that your character is juxtapositional in some way to their situation or to somebody else in the story so that you've got that, that mismatch of someone's objective with their capabilities or the situation they're in. So, um, yeah, that's what we've been finding with a lot of the scripts, that they don't manage to have that. They have crazy people in a crazy situation. And all you're, when you're reading, you're just going, ah, too much now, too much chaos in here. Let's take it down. I did want to uh, bring up, actually, the point that, Kay, you've been kind of, uh, really, I think it's fair to say, a great pioneer, really, in terms of uh, getting more uh, women writers. There was a, a, a famous survey about four years ago, I think it was, by the Writers Guild, which in which it was uh, discovered that something like 89% of all scripts were written by uh, men and 11% by women. And that, oh, that was in sort of 2010. And then the set, the six years later the figures were exactly the same <laughs> and so mm -hmm. um I, I, it has changed now and there is this new uh, uh scheme uh, i think saskia schuster is behind is that right of the 50 50 scheme trying to to ensure that uh there well when she was at itv it was to ensure that you had 50 percent yeah. uh women well uh, i mean men. i mean you know I, the writers guild research which is called um, equality rights which was done in 2018 it was commissioned by basically the tv committee of the guild so i wasn't that involved in it really except to think it was great and to talk about it a lot and to try and 
you know, get people to look at its, its findings. And, and in a way, it helped us have the impetus to set up um, Female Pilots Club and, and Saskia to set up Comedy 50-50. And yeah, the research showed that only 11% of sitcoms had been written by women consistently over a 10 year period to 2016. So basically that was 2010 to 2016. So that's almost half my, half my career really. So I had that feeling that a lot of the time that I was pitching sitcom after sitcom after sitcom, I was understanding now that I was pitching at a very small target because very, very, very few women. Um, I won't say we're allowed to get through because I'm sure it wasn't quite like that, but they, in a, in a, in any sense didn't get through only 11 percent of women got through over a 10-year period and when you say that's over now I don't quite know what you mean by that I mean there was a big shock there was a lot of shock in the industry people went oh my god that can't be true the BBC said oh the, the figures are up to date it's now 2018 it's completely different I don't think the figures have borne that out over time in fact the last um, article I read in broadcast on this subject said that less women had been commissioned in 2020 than in the year before, in 2019. So I think the idea that things magically changed is, is a little bit uh, optimistic. I think there a lot more women perhaps have got through the system into, you know, into development, but I'm not sure that the figures have really fed through into a massive change in greenlit series. We do see some fantastic women on TV. Before we, anyone says, look, there's, there's this person, this person. Don't get me wrong, there are some amazing, amazing sitcoms now written by women and hooray for them and they're terrifically talented people. Um, but I think that overall, the numbers of women comedy writers getting work and sustaining a career in the comedy industry are still unfeasibly low. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I I do agree. And I, 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 if I if I said it's over now, I didn't. <laughs> I wasn't meaning oh the problem's been solved. I was meaning that there, 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 there is an awareness yes, now. Yes, there is there an awareness. Before. Yeah. But I think I, I I'd like to just stick with this a little bit because this is a, about something that I find particularly with new writers, and I think it's been true all my career over sort of forty years or whatever that. Uh, I think it's reasonably fair to say that most men who start writing comedy think they're a lot funnier than they are. And most women who come into wanting to write comedy don't think that they're funny enough to do it. And, I, you know, that, that's just my... I, I, can't, I haven't got any figures to prove this, but this is just my experience. And I, for, for people starting out, I think, what, I, I mean... Again, we shouldn't have to be talking about this in, in, mm. in gender terms, but I, I, I think that's something that I found a lot. And I don't know if you found it. And if so, how do you kind of, you know, how, how do you overcome those obstacles in both directions, mm. not just for women, but also for, for men? I mean, I kind, I kind of relate to what you say, Dave, because there is imposter syndrome and lots of women have talked about imposter syndrome, how, you know, they can't quite believe that they're good enough to be where they are. So I think that that is what you're talking about to a certain extent. But on the, on the other hand, I think I would, I would point to, um, you know, the systemic uh, nature of the problem um, as being. I find that hard. Sorry, an awful lot of. An awful lot of. I mean, sorry, we've had a lot. I've not said anything. I agree with Dave, but also there are a lot of female decision makers in comedy. So either some women are refusing to commission other women, 
Um, but also, I don't know what the case is with drama. And I wonder if... Um, I just wonder if there is a lack, less desire to write comedy and that women tend to prefer writing, firstly, other novels, but secondly, um, uh, drama, where there is a much clearer pathway. I don't know. Is there anything in that? Um, well, you know, I, uh, there's so much there, James. I can come back, try and come back in one at a time. Um, so the first thing that you said was um, there are women commissioning. Like Saskia um, was. Like, like Saskia was. Well, Saskia did her dandest to, uh, to commission women. And in fact, one of the things that she said repeatedly is that when she asked for producers to bring more female written sit sitcoms and comedy to her, they said, we don't know any women. We can't find any comedy writers who are women. There aren't any. Um, and many, many commissioners and gatekeepers have said that producers have said this to them. And that was one of the things, that's one of the impetuses between, between behind setting up Comedy 5050, where one of the things they did was, which was put a database together um, in which lots and lots of comedy writers who are women, you know, were female, put themselves on this database. And so then Saskia could say to the producers, look, if you don't know any women, here are some, and, and, and you know, to put a stop to that excuse. So there were a lot of excuses. Secondly, when I say it's systemic, I don't mean it's men, it's men being naughty. I mean, it's systemic. Um, and that includes women commissioning and men commissioning. And if you look at the, uh, at the piece of research that Dave was talking about, in fact, I actually got it here to, to, to read you a little bit, because I know one of the questions that we were talking about is like, why has it taken so long for there to be change? And the academics who did this research came up with some, some great findings. So I'm gonna read it to you, you can- Please do. Read it. Um, so, so this is some of the reasons that they came up. Bear in mind, they're not talking here about specifically comedy. They're talking about TV writers and, in fact, film writers, female TV and film writers. And they say that bias amongst hirers, lack of formal or opening hiring systems, inadequate equality data collection and ineffective regulatory systems are creating a self-sustaining loop of gender inequality. Systemic problems unique to both industries are also having an impact. That's film and TV. The short-term and unregulated nature of film productions encourages gender inequality in TV. Negative practices are becoming codified over time. I think that's a really good point. I agree, I agree with that. Um, and I'll tell you why. Um, because when, people when I describe how to get a comedy show commissioned or a comedy show written once it's been commissioned, I always say... It's as if no one's ever written a comedy show before. The whole, the whole thing is chaos. Yeah. And actually the same goes for movies as well. Where, although there is the Writers Guild who sort of regulated a bit, every movie kind of has to speak itself into existence and can take 12 years. And it's just chaotic. Mm -hmm. And therefore, I think it's really hard to do anything with a system that is fundamentally mm -hmm. chaotic. Whereas the, the soap opera, Holby, uh, TV drama... Uh, writers' rooms for for dramas. I think, mm -hmm. you know, where where the gender imbalance is probably uh, more more towards fifty fifty. I, I don't know uh, what it is. So it is, I, I think that's that chaos. Yeah. I think is a really good point. To be actually honest, it, it isn't more towards fifty fifty. I'll I'll tell you exactly what it is. Um, so the percentage of television. Uh, sorry, what it was in the two thousand eighteen research. I'm sorry, these are not 
Sure. You know, yes, base figures. The percentage of television episodes written predominantly by women over 10 years is just 28%. Oh, okay. It drops to 14% for prime time, 11% for comedy, and 9% for light entertainment. And remember, prime time is where the money is. That's the high end, you know, comedy, uh, sorry, drama where you're getting the absolute most money and the most prestige. And that's only 14% women, which is not that different to comedy. Mm. Um, so when you know when you say it's it's women preferring drama sadly I wish that were true it isn't when you say it's women preferring novel writing sadly it isn't women are, are you know quite often they they start writing novels because they can't make breakthroughs in tv and particularly in tv comedy but also in tv I've, I'm, I think I'm on my fourth review uh, written by friends of mine this year of novels and these mm. are women who are, you know, these are writers who have been working in the TV industry alongside me for years and years. I don't know if anyone's read Georgia Pritchett's book. Now, Georgia Pritchett's got to be one of the most successful comedy writers. And she's just written um, a memoir called My Mess is a Bit of a Life. I don't know if anything's written. Not yet. No, no, not yet. We're, we're hoping to get her to I mean, to it, is, it, show, it yeah. is extraordinary. I have to say it's an extraordinary book. And it's so honest about her experiences as a as a female comedy writer, and um, and they're not pleasant, and they're not mm. uh, they they just give a really um, unvarnished idea of what it was like through those years. Being, in, I think, in her case, the only person I came along about two years. She's a bit younger than me, but actually, I started late, so I came along a couple of years behind her, and she was almost always the only woman. And Going back to your point about one should have confidence and women don't think they're as good as they are, but Georgia makes the point that she was really told emphatically over and over again how good she wasn't um, by reviewers and by producers and by other writers. You know, it's it's quite striking her account mm -hmm. of it and one I really recognise. What what's um interesting? You mentioned Georgia because I've been to a couple of uh, female pilots clubs uh, sh live shows, the, the pre COVID shows, um, excellent shows, and they're they're really good. And I think this this um what what interests me about them and George, one of the uh, scripts written by Georgia was a mm. sort of a comedy drama, very very uh, <clears throat> beautifully written, inevitably as all Georgia's work is. But what struck me a lot about those um, scripts was you kind of it sort of didn't re i mean it was it was great that it was these are all scripts written by women but actually i couldn't have thought mm, the person who wrote that is less funny than if it had been if i if i'd known it was by a man or something so it's kind of already in some ways i think things like female pilots club are helping to kind of at least in their way break down the kind of the, the, the fact is that comedy it, sh it shouldn't matter really who 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 has written it and i think that was a that, that's a sort of brilliant thing that i found they were just they were just funny scripts um and you know there were things that weren't quite as funny but <laughs> i wasn't well that's because you know women can't write a kind of the 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 twenty-fifth minute where there's a little dip in that. Well, you know, women can't write that. You know, it's just it's a comedy uh, issue. But mm -hmm. I, I, I would, I'd, I'd partly, I mean, I'd, I'd love to do a whole episode really about the gender imbalance in comedy and you know what we're kind of um, how that affects um, for, for for people sort of coming in. But I, 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 I that first question about sort of women writers. 
uh, versus main writers. I would like to bring Chris back in on that just because uh, I'd be interested to know from your point of view as well, Chris, as a sort of starting point, when you when you get younger writers, male or man, female, have you noticed that disparity? And and is there, what 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 can you say to people who come in and they have that as as Kay calls it, either imposter syndrome or the other version, what I would probably call uh, American syndrome, mm-hmm. where you know, hey, I'm I'm awesome. Um, Dear, oh dear, Dave, what do you think of Americans? This is not good. Sorry, Chris, carry on. (laughs) Thank you, James. Um, Well, actually, something I would say in response to that is when I first started teaching sketch comedy writing and sitcom writing back at City Lit, the classes were overwhelmingly men, and there'd be one woman in a group, maybe two. And now, often it is completely the reverse. So this is the grassroots level. This is not touching the systemic problems, the industry issues that have been talked about, but on a grassroots level, um, since, um, excuse me, um, since COVID, I've been running uh, classes online, doing online classes through uh, British Comedy Guide. Dave, I'm sure he doesn't need the plug, but Dave offers various online things and services through British Comedy Guide as well. But I'm mentioning it because uh, in a recent sitcom slash comedy drama course I was running it was it was one man uh so it was 11 women and one man and uh, I didn't notice for a while and I thought oh this is at this level at least this has really changed from you know from when I started teaching this stuff you know 20 plus years ago yeah and the same for us when we did our script competition for sitcom geeks I suspect it was I don't know actually I think the the number of the number of scripts we read was probably the majority men uh, but actually of the of the top 15 or 20 or 10 or we whittled it down to it was actually majority uh, women uh, so uh, I don't know what um don't know what we make of that. We can we just we need to wrap up fairly soon. I was just wondering, just to broaden it out for for both of you, what are the things that you are just finding uh, that you're saying to new writers and and fledging writers a lot? Uh, there are things that we keep saying on this podcast. Um, you know, confusion is the enemy of comedy. Various things like that. Uh, what what are the what are the basics that you just think? You know, you almost you forget that people don't know them, and they've got a new person. And you just go, oh yeah, that's right. Uh, I need to just run through this again. Are there any any headlines there, Chris, and and then Kay? Well, one thing I would say is, um, I would say don't worry so much about trying to think of funny ideas. Um, if you get a, a really good group of characters who are kind of nicely dysfunctional, and there's all this conflict, and there's backstories and there's secrets and lies and there's resentment and crucially that there's incompetence and failings and shortcomings. If, if you, if you have all of that, then you don't really need to think of funny ideas. So as a, for instance, uh, today uh, we had a plumber in earlier who was fixing our boiler and thankfully it is now fixed. Uh, But I was thinking that, August is an excellent month to have your boiler done, by the way. Uh, we, we had it a is. water trouble the other day and the boy, and the plumber was just like, yeah, smart, get it done now. But anyway, exactly. the plumber came, yes. fix the boiler. Thank you, James. I know it was strangely smug that our boiler broke in, in August. Um, <laughs> but the reason why I bring it up is if you, you know, if you said, oh, in, in my sitcom script, uh, a boiler is going to break, you know, no one's going to fall around laughing and going, that's hilarious. But, but if you think, okay, well, if, 
let, let's go through some examples. If a boiler broke down in Faulty Towers, well, do, you, you tell me, James, Dave, Kay, how, how would Basil Faulty react to this broken boiler? What, what would he do? Well, he's... Um, uh, not get it fixed is the first thing. Yeah. He'd get it fixed on the cheap. Yes. Um, but it would eventually end up him beating the uh, beating it with a branch, wouldn't it? I mean, that's that's yeah. where it's headed. Yeah. A monkey, yeah. a monkey wrench, surely. Monkey wrench. Oh, yeah. yeah. There'd be a real good noise to that as well, wouldn't there? Yeah. Exactly. So what we've got there is the boiler breaking isn't funny, but it's how the character deals with it. And what what you just said there is absolutely classic. You know, his attempt to solve that problem then creates new problems. So he tries to fix it on the cheap, and that then begets the next problem. So you just need that starter problem and and a rich character, and then off you go. You know, get, if it was Del get Boy, Manuel to, to, to fix yeah. it first, and Manuel would end up with third degree burns. Yeah. Um, you know, and then it would be just like, oh, okay, well. Yeah. And then this the, is, the this is the modern make... remake of Faulty Towers, third yeah. degree burns, and. You know. <laughs> but you're right. It's it's the character and the, this this great big story arc. You know, would Faulty Towers have been better with a great big story arc? New. No. <laughs> it's the character, isn't it? It is. Um, and just to kind of explore a couple of other options. So, you know, Dell Boy was dealing with the broken boiler. You know, he'd know someone who had some knockoff boilers. And, you know, Fleabag was dealing with it. She'd probably try and seduce a plumber so that she didn't have to pay, you know. And if Moss was dealing with it, he would learn everything there is to learn about boilers. And because, get you know, manual. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So it's, it's, don't sweat so much about thinking of funny ideas. Just get good characters, just give them a problem that normal people face and then wind them up and watch them go. Fantastic advice right there. Um, follow that, Kay. Okay. I'm, hey! I can't. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not, a, I'm just a woman and they're not funny. So uh-huh. But what, uh, what do you, what do you, what do people coming on the courses that you do, what, what are they having to learn in a big hurry? Well, um, what I quite often do is I trick them into writing comedy by calling it a short film. Um, <laughs> I give them a, because <laughs> they often think they're too posh to write a comedy. So I give them, um, I don't know, I give them a comedy, a comic pre- a premise. And I say, right now, write this really fast in a short film. And then crucially, which is back to female pilot club again, I get the class to read them out. And they are always funny. They always manage to write something funny. Um, and they didn't know they could write something funny. And so then they get a huge boost because they've got some laughs. And then after that, we go back and look, why was it funny and what did they do? And we try and unpack it and analyse it so that they can get some some lessons for themselves. So that's that's my method, because I like to learn by doing because that's what we did. That's what we that's what we did. We didn't. Um, but in terms of like rules, I would always say, like, look at your life. Don't look at other people's work. Um, I think drawing from life is better than, you know, watching 40 Towers or, you know, whatever yeah. people do um, forever. Um, and I and I also think that um, I do a great little exercise with creating characters, which is ask yourself three questions. And they are, who are they? Where are they? And what do they want? But you don't ask it once. You ask it like 20 times of each question. So you've got to brainstorm with yourself. And those of us who brainstorm naturally in our heads, we all do it. You know, we think, oh, no, that would be too obvious. Oh, no, that would be too obvious. Oh, no, that would be too obvious. And finally, we come across something which we think is original and we write that. What we don't realise is that some people don't do that naturally. And so that's a skill that kind of has to be taught. So I do it as a little exercise where you have to 
literally get 20 answers to each of those questions. And then you've got a fabulous array of attributes, of attributes and, and characteristics that you can put together to make your character. And then they become, they jump off the page and become three-dimensional and, you know, quite original. So that's my little, little trick. So that's uh, two great pieces of advice there. Could you tell us specifically, I know the Female Pilots Club obviously was off uh, over COVID, but could, could, you, could you tell us when the next show is and what your plans are? Um, well, you know, we, we did a, mentor, a mentoring uh, scheme um, during COVID, which was really good. And we had an online reading, for which we got some really, really great scripts. And we do plan to have uh, an autumn production, but I couldn't yet say when it is. But if you do want to send in scripts for Female Pilot Club and you're a, a female writer, then um, you can send it to Comedy 5050. Look up their address online, their email address and send it to them say what it's for and we will definitely read it um and the other thing we're doing sorry guys is a podcast so, right uh, <laughs> the female pilot club podcast will drop at some point in the autumn so that's what we've been doing that's brilliant oh, have you have you recorded some already you plan is he planning a series is this going to run forever what's what's that going to look like yeah what we're what like. doing at the moment is that we are we're actually just interviewing the women who've had their scripts done already and mm. we're going to be interviewing our mentees that we did our mentorship scheme so we've got a little body of of um, episodes already lined up we're recording them at the moment and then going forward I, I think we'll see where it takes us you know we might just interview interview the other women working in comedy and see what they've got to say brilliant uh, and uh chris you you have a book out uh, about comedy writing don't you could you tell tell us uh, more about that Thank, uh, thanks dave uh, uh, creating comedy narratives for stage and screen is the title and it's exploring sketch comedy um certainly from a writer's perspective but also a writer performer perspective but then how sketches mm. <laughs> well, that was almost almost a cheer but not quite um, no no it was a boo it was, it was a boo it was a boo, oh, oh, writer yeah. performer. boo. boo. i feel like i've had enough cheers to kind of bolster to bolstered you for the the show uh for the rest of the show i thought i let one token boo there for the writer yeah. performer was, was uh, oh my goodness required. So I'm trying to plug my book and I, I get booed in the I'm middle. Sorry. Of what, what kind of sorry, book? Chris. Give us the title again. We're all going to buy it anyway, Chris. Yeah. So, yeah. You know. uh, creating comedy narratives for stage and screen. So, yeah, sketch comedy and then into, I keep saying sitcom slash comedy drama um, because, you know, we, we're, we're, in that, we're in that world now where, you know, comedy dramas, it used to be that they were in the hour-long slots and they were made by drama people and not comedy people. But now you have these half-hour comedy dramas like Detectorists and like Fleabag and Alma's Not Normal that are almost, well, I'm starting to think of them as comedy drama sitcoms. And they're sort of in that in that kind of space. So um, I wrote a blog for BBC Writers Room. Actually, recently I got invited to write one about comedy dramas. So I sort of talk about that more, more there. But, but yeah, in the book, it's about kind of sketches going into these longer narratives but then also something I really enjoyed doing is I spoke to a lot of brilliant improv people and got their take on things because they're writing live in front of an audience right there and then. And that kind of pressure and that immediacy, I feel like you learn a lot about writing because you're doing it so immediately. And so I spoke to a lot of them and got their perspectives. And then because I've got quite a background in stand-up as well, you know, directing particularly these sort of hour-long shows, Edinburgh shows and things, 
that kind of that's in there as well so so it's it's definitely kind of a hybrid book covering you know all of these bases in in the way that the the degree does talking of edinburgh we're recording this during the festival um sorry kay were you going to come in on something there i just was going to ask us a quick question on where does he stand on the word dramedy oh (laughs) that is the american word for what you're talking about isn't it but we won't use it over here is it because we hate americans what what's going on with that it's just an unattractive portmanteau no portmanteau how do you say that Portmanteau, is it? Portmanteau. Word. No, I don't think it is a portmanteau. Portmanteau is actually two words oh, that put were... together. Oh, okay. But uh, I think it is more. It, it's a. It's a Frankenstein. It's Frankenstein. I mean, in, in fact, your word is more. It's a triple. It's a dram. A dramaditcom almost, isn't yes. it? Yes. Yeah. So tra- dramaditcom. Wow, that's a new word we've coined here. On you heard it here first. I'm afraid to say. And last, <laughs> drama ditcom. You're never going to hear it anywhere else again. <laughs> I was just going to finish off by asking about the Edinburgh Festival, which is on as we sp- as we are recording this, at least. Um, and I'm just trying to trying to work out, you know, a what's actually happening in Edinburgh at the moment. I've no I've no real clue. But b, is this going to really start to take the air out of the balloon? I don't know if you guys have done okay i don't know if you've done edinburgh festivals over the years i mean i've sort of done my done my time but back 20 years ago it was like oh this is just getting out of hand it can't get any bigger Mm. and then it's bigger and then it's bigger and then it's bigger and then and then by by 2018 there are three thousand shows um and it just feels like the air might come out of this but i think the air has come out of the balloon has it what what's what's going to happen any ideas well something I, i would say sorry okay go on you come in first um I think it has. Whether or not the air will stay out of the balloon, I don't know. But I mean, in some ways, I think it's a good thing if the air comes out of the balloon, because I think it was getting to the stage where, um, you know, you needed a lot of money and I'm going to use the word privilege, but you know what I mean, in order to get a show and take it to Edinburgh. And the industry was kind of disproportionately drawing its talent from that one showcase. And for people who didn't have the resources or the know-how, just, you know, just the kind of, I don't know, if they weren't writer performers, sorry, Chris, uh, and they couldn't get a show to Edinburgh, then they were being very disadvantaged within the industry. Mm. So if it does begin to assume less importance in the industry, I think that is not necessarily a bad thing. I think that's very fair. What about you, Chris? Oh, well, I, I would agree with with all of that. I remember, so first Edinburgh I did was 1998, where I directed a comedy play that someone else had written. 1999, did a first show well, that I wrote with Barry Ferns. Um, and What was it called? Uh, oh, The Leisure Virus, that was called. The Leisure Virus. It was a sketch show. Um, there were, I think there were about 450 comedy shows then, and I thought, I couldn't believe it. And, you know... Well, just comedy alone, the last proper Edinburgh, it was well over a thousand shows, probably approaching 2000. So, yeah, it had got out of hand. So if it does, if there is some natural shrinkage, that's probably going to help, really. But certainly for reasons Kay has said, but also I think, you know, there's a real danger with how big it got that just gems would get overlooked. Hmm. If I could just uh, come in here and say that my, the first professional Edinburgh I did was in uh, 1984. And the big story uh, in The Scotsman that year was comedy has taken over the fringe. It has become too commercial. So they were saying that in 1984. Uh, and uh, they've been saying it every year. It's, 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 it's like the oh, series two isn't as funny as uh, series one. Um, 
which you know every yeah. every massive show always gets that. So I think you know I, I I still think Edinburgh is the just the most brilliant, fantastic place. Uh, I would say that, and uh, I would love um, to, but I would love to take a show to Edinburgh, um, and next year I'd love to do a show on the Gospel of John. Uh, I've got some good, there's quite a lot of jokes in John, and do I want to spend four grand on a flat? for me and my family the show is the cheap and the easy bit now mm. and just the accommodation is eye-wateringly expensive to the point that, where i just yeah. think it's probably not worth the bother well i think what's interesting this year and this is the this is the first year because i actually tried to take a show up this year a hybrid show of uh a, 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 like a combination of some of the stuff that i'd done in previous shows and a bit of um my my uh, novel about Edinburgh being read out and trying to do it as an overall package, um, and that it logistically wasn't possible. But but the idea that, that Edinburgh becomes a kind of combination of online and live, uh, or live online, and I think there I I think that the, the the prospects of being able to do a show online, even if we're you know supposedly back to whatever normal will be in a year's time i think that's that, that james that, that that will be um the kind of opportunity that it will start to open up i think mm. maybe well uh we love to end with a bit of mind of speculation and i think we've done done justice to that <laughs> great well, we're so grateful uh, to you, Kay, for taking the time uh, to be with us. Thank you very much to you, uh, Chris, as well. And hooray, Chris, oh, thank you very much. You. We've, we've evened up the cheers. He gen His face lit up then. It was yeah. very exciting uh, here on the Zoom chat. So um, thanks very much. Uh, you can send us an email, sitcomgeeks at gmail.com, and tell us to talk about stuff in particular, ask us questions, and we'll try and answer them. We haven't said that for a while, have we, Dave? I don't think we have, no. No. Um, and you can sort of get a more immediate feedback on that if you join us on Patreon as well. So join the Patreon and there's a Facebook group uh, which we have chats on and there's an extra podcast every month which is just flat out Q&A uh, which is then made available to all our Patreon listeners. So uh, do if you Google Sitcom Geeks Patreon, you will only find us. But stay tuned because there's another podcast coming, the Female Pilots Club. They are on their way, coming into land any day, Fantastic. any day now. I'm, I'm standing here with a table tennis bat, waving it in. Uh, so, uh, great. Cheers, Dave. Thank you very Thanks, much, guys. Dave. Thank you. Thanks, Kay. Thanks, Thank Chris. You. Speak to you next time. Cheerio. Thank you. Bye. Bye.